Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hi, and thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Real happy that you could join me. So we'll start things off on this first half again, talking about the ever-changing landscape of safety in the midst of COVID-19. And again, this is one of the interesting things that I really expected I'd probably talk about this maybe once a month or even less because maybe things would settle down as far as where things are going, but it actually seems to be speeding up. And now looking back on it, that makes sense. But eh, sometimes you get things wrong when you're first looking at it and thinking about it. But some real interesting news came out. And the first one that came out was OSHA did release a little bit of revised information about COVID-19 guidance and recordability. And really the sticking point is, is it work-related? Because you have that three-prong aspect of OSHA recordability. Is it work-related? Is it new? Did it require medical treatment? And that's really the three basics. Now, we take those three basics as safety professionals and gets extremely complex after that. Um, But looks like they're giving some guidance saying, yeah, you do need to record this and you need to make reasonable efforts based on evidence to attain whether or not it is work-related. So you have to do some due diligence there. As an employer, if you're told that there's a COVID-19 issue, you need to be doing your due diligence to determine, is it work-related? Is there a suspect of a way that this was contracted in a work-related way and therefore recorded. So that's very interesting that it seems like some proactive companies have already started doing that, that they've already been looking at it very strongly and saying, yep, that's an illness. It was contracted as part of work, um, if it was. And so now OSHA actually dropped that guidance out, making sure that we're doing that. And that's been out for a little while, but it's People are just now paying attention to it and making sure that they're doing it because it's getting as more and more organizations are opening and have the ability to open. That is becoming a big deal is how did you contract it and is there risk to the rest of the workforce? And speaking of that, in Idaho, uh, there was some doctors that came forward saying that they really are expecting OSHA to start enforcing this, that they want stronger regulations. They want some help. In getting this under control, they want some more regulation. They want some more people on the ground looking at it and asking for help in enforcing what is out there. And then you flip over and you look in Oregon and they're looking at expanded uh, 
workers' compensation coverage for nurses during COVID-19. So it's really becoming more apparent, and this will trickle down because the, the medical workers, of course, were our front line as this was ongoing. They were the ones that were seeing this, engaging it, having to be a part of it, and really putting in the time around COVID-19. And so I think they're really the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see long term. And so watching the medical community and how they're reacting is going to show us long term how the rest of us, as we start opening, as we start engaging and bringing customers back into our businesses or bringing workers back or engaging with the public again, this is going to see how it's going to go because certainly the cases are still out there. It's still ongoing, uh, still a lot of discussion about COVID-19. And so when we look here at, okay, we have the medical community now saying, hey, we still need help. We still need OSHA guidance. We still need OSHA to step in and get involved and hold up what is happening here and to enforce the PPE standards to enforce the infectious uh, disease standards that are out there like bloodborne pathogen. And how does that affect the way that we're handling COVID-19? And so then we see here expanded workers' compensation that we, that they're asking the nurses and medical professionals are looking for expanded workers' comp coverage so that they can be covered if they become sick. And so certainly being that they were the front line, that they weren't closed, that they kept functioning during this entire process and were actively engaged with those that certainly most confirmed with COVID-19, that this is just the tip. And I think that's really what's showing us the future of what we're going to see. And we have to pay attention to that. And then we also see on some good news here or news from that standpoint, if we're in Nevada, they are. Uh, starting to step up more in inspections. And we're seeing, showing that fines have ranged from anywhere from 2000 to 13000 uh, based on COVID-19, based on what they're walking into a workforce, looking around, and that excludes other types of fines that they find when they're there. But they started doing some data and monitoring and being active in hospitals, being active in workplaces that did not close. And stepping up and doing that work to set that standard. So kind of an evolution. And again, this is very state to state. And I know there's a lot of complaints about federal OSHA and how they're handling it, but there's also complaints about how some of the states are handling it. And again, I don't think OSHA was really prepared for this. I mean, none of us were prepared for this. Um, But year over year, they've needed more compliance, more education officers that they don't have. And now this happens and we're calling on them to go above and beyond to find these issues to help employers be prepared. And we're looking for that and they don't have the resources to to help. And it's good to see that there's some states out here that have made some strong work and some strong efforts to do that. Um, I hate to see anyone get violations because that means that You weren't proactively doing what you should do, but it does show that we're actively engaging. We're going out there trying to find it because certainly if it's not being looked at, if it's not being evaluated and it's just a rule that sets out there, there's those that will take advantage of that and not follow it. They need that checks and balances to do the right thing rather than just taking care of their people as we should be doing. And so another interesting article, this one actually came right out of Forbes, 
And it was saying that if OSHA is not addressing your unsafe work conditions due to coronavirus, just go ahead and uh, sue the Secretary of Labor. And that blew my mind when I read that article because I was like, wow, we are taking it to that next level for sure. That, okay, how is that going to affect? Uh, how is that going to help? How long is that going to be tied up in the system as far as what that's going to do? Because again, we're looking at how do we prevent and protect our people? And isn't that what it's about? We need the compliance to make sure because the compliance is that baseline. It says that, okay, here's what generally accepted. This creates a safe place. This creates the safe beginning. And then from there you look at, okay, where's the harm? How are we protecting our team? And I'm not so sure that suing the secretary of labor is going to create anything quickly that's going to help us in this COVID-19 situation. But interesting nonetheless that that seems to be some decision-making that organizations are taking and potentially going for district court and going to take action. I think what they're wanting is concerted, large-scale effort to get out there and protect our employees to protect the people who are working as OSHA was created to do, to educate, create laws, and enforce. And that's what we're wanting right now. And I think a lot of it is we're looking for guidance. And it's funny, some companies will wait until OSHA makes the designation before they'll act on it, rather than looking ahead and saying, okay, how can we really do the right thing? How can we go out there and find the right way to protect our team? And let's just go do that because it's the right thing to do. There's some who wait and say, well, you know what? I'm just going to meet the minimum. I'm going to be that OSHA compliant. And that's good. I mean, that's better than nothing because uh, on the flip side, there are companies out there that have chosen not to even do that. Just look at the OSHA fines and look at some of the things that are going on in that area. And sure, there's companies that don't even put forth that effort. And then in the middle, you have those companies who make that minimal effort and hit the OSHA compliant mark. And then you have those proactive companies that are truly engaging and looking for their company and, and looking at their team and trying to help that. And I think one of the most interesting news that I found and that I really tried to dig into it deeper and couldn't find a whole lot but it um an interesting thing that some companies now are offering a COVID-19 safety certification for your company that you can pay them some undisclosed amount of money. They will evaluate your process for cleaning or restricting or something related to COVID-19, and they'll give you a score. And you can post the score to make your customers feel like you've done something and it's interesting and there's a couple of companies or more maybe than that out there doing it and I'm not so sure what it's based on because the science is still not perfect on how we prevent or protect uh, from COVID-19 and yet there's a companies out there that are saying they're going to certify you for protecting people from COVID-19 that's impressive it's a very impressive. I, and, and certainly, I'm just curious if it's run by business people, if it's run by scientists, if it's run by a medical professional. Scratching my head on that one, but I, I thought I'd close out this first section of the podcast by talking about that because 
it really interested me. The fact that, uh, okay, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to be a COVID-19 certification. Then, yeah, it looks like you're doing a pretty good job cleaning. Let's give you an, I got a checklist here of 100 items that you maybe should be doing for COVID-19. And you get about 90 of them. That's good. Let's give you a 90. And I'll just write this on your window for you. Congratulations. Anyway, that's interesting. It's certainly one way to make some money during this COVID-19 crisis. Um, not something I'm, I want to learn more. I think that's really what I'm scratching my head is that it was hard to find any real information on how the process worked, the scientific background for it, even how they would evolve. So science is changing. We're learning every day. We're getting new information. So how would this certification evolve? And based on that evolution, do you alter, is the score dynamic versus static based on new science? Anyway, I'm more curious than anything, but found it to be, um, from first look, it looks very much like an opportunity to make some money from something that people don't fully understand yet, because again, the science evolves and is continuing to evolve. More podcast coming up in just a moment. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change, TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com And welcome back to the second part of the podcast. So a couple of uh, interesting items came across this past week. And the first was uh, from a newspaper, an online newspaper, where someone actually wrote an editorial about OSHA and... It was really good, and I was really, one, I'm excited that, like, normal news is looking and saying, you know what, let's look at what's going on here. And this is out of Oregon, uh, the Mail Tribune. I'll give them full credit because I'm really excited the fact that a newspaper editorial actually picked up some information and wanted to talk about OSHA. And it was actually a very interesting, positive article because really what it says here is that OSHA rules were made to prevent, not punish. That the goal was that, yeah, we set that law up to give us the guidance of what does safety look like? What does compliance look like? And ultimately, of course, when if you don't have a punishment with that, then what does it matter? But it was really nice to read through this. And they were mainly focused on some of the, the farming and harvest time for growers and agricultural industry. Um, and, and some of it was COVID related about how the enforcement can happen and such and how do we motivate 
But I really got me thinking and one appreciative of the fact that we're talking about this, that we're talking about the fact that we have OSHA in place to help us know what the baseline should be, that this is the minimum we should be setting in an expectation to be legal to protect our people. And it is. It's about giving us that opportunity to prevent. I mean, some could argue that the OSHA inspection is an open book test. And yeah, okay, I can understand that's a little oversimplification of the regulations. And I think that's a lot of fault that we have sometimes in our world of safety is that there's those who are like, well, safety is common sense or if you just don't get hurt, that's safety. And they don't really understand the extent and the depth of the regulations we have. And when you start looking at, okay, why was the regulation created? Let's look at the letters of interpretation. Let's look at previous fines and how they affected it in the courts. It's a really complex situation, especially in some of the more larger groups like lockout, tagout, or confined space. And now with COVID-19, PPE and bloodborne and looking at this and how is that going to affect those? So our regulations certainly are more deep. They're more complex than just simply saying, hey, it's an open book test. But And so when we say it's just an open book test, I mean, the regulations are there and they're made. And like this argument is made, they're there to help us be able to prevent a fine. They're there to help us prevent harm to our team. And I think that's really what it's about. And it was really such a great statement there. And it's something I'd kind of lost touch with. I knew this, uh, but I think it just kept reinforced why we're doing what we do. And it's to help prevent harm. It's to help prevent fines. It's to help protect our team. But it's there. Those rules are in place. They're readily available because they're encouraging us to go out and follow it. And again, I'm going to kind of go back to the first half of the podcast when I say, you know, there's some companies that just aren't going to do it unless they are punished. And even then, you see so many repeat. You see so many willful. And that's just unfortunate. And you see some companies who legitimately try to get to that mark of OSHA compliant. And then you see those companies who legitimately try to go above and beyond. And there's such a interesting mix of that from industry to industry and from people to people based on what they're trying to do and the focus they have. But anyway, very interesting to see that we're talking about it and we're talking about it in some mainstream media and rather than just in the pockets of the safety professionals of the world. And then moving into some of the other ones, um, it looks like one of the larger food plants, um, a meat plant in particular, had some issues, and a lot of it. Uh, one, there was an article saying, finally, they're doing virus testing. And I'm not going to name names here. I don't do that. I don't believe in that because I don't think that makes anybody better by me shaming anything. Um, but so many people have been sick, so many problems and the meatpacking industry and finally started getting going here against this company in particular and saying, look, we've got to start testing. And so they finally started widespread testing to make sure people are coming in to, um, coming in and being healthy before they show up to work. And I think the, the meatpacking industry has always been kind of that target, and for, for a long time, I mean, it goes back to um, books written and pamphlets written years and hundreds of years ago about it and how those things happen. 
just like in Upton Sinclair's The Jungle back in 1906. I mean, it began that aspect of looking at how do we handle meatpacking and how is it industrialized? And it had other themes to it, but that was one of them. So certainly they're not, they're used to seeing criticism for what they're doing. But then another one looked at like just within one state in particular, the, the company had multiple sites in the state, but one news organization just went through and listed every single time that they had been cited by OSHA and like, what did it look like? And within the year and a lot of them this year, and they even looked at other States too. And fatality, fatality, catastrophe planned referral. So a lot of hits and a lot of fines, uh, some of them ranging anywhere from 200,000 to $80,000 for, of course, lockout tagout uh, being a huge one and making sure that we're turning off equipment. And I think that's interesting with any fast-paced manufacturing environment where we're trying to move things and is by piece that we only make money by getting enough pieces out the door as fast as we can. There's always that desire to be able to find a way around lockout tagout, like maybe interlocks on the doors that really aren't true robotic interlocks that still can be bypassed and things like that, that they do um, to make sure that they can quickly get a jam out of the way or to quickly keep the equipment moving no matter what, because they need that thousand pieces every minute or whatever it is. And so you see that and it's, it's tough to convince that after years and years and years of doing it, that, they need to evolve and it, there is an investment up front in lockout tag out that how simple do you want it? How complex do you want it? And how much training do you want to do? And it can be done. A proper lockout tag out can be done efficiently and it can be done well when you study it. And when you take the time to invest up front in it, big proponent of that. I'm a big proponent that we don't just shortchange the safety process that if we need to fix it, let's find the better way. And that's, a, to me, very lean. And I was some really good, lean people in my career, and I'm very thankful for them as they taught me that lesson, that let's study it. Let's look at how long does it really take to do it? And what are the slowdowns? What are the bottlenecks of the process? Why is it so hard? Is it because the equipment is too far away? The switches are too many. Takes too long to set the equipment back up. Okay, why? Can we fix that? Is there better technology? So anyway, that kind of got me off on that tangent again that, yeah, it it's available. And it's again about that desire. Do we want to make it better or are we just happy doing what we're doing? And again, here we see a news agency that heard about this happening and just they did some research. So it is good to see that we're paying attention and we're doing our research and we're seeing some journalism help inform of what's going on with these organizations. So found that to be interesting. And then finally, there was another one, another part of the country, a different, completely different company altogether, but another food company that again, lockout tag out issue and ended up with some pretty significant fines because of that. And then also with any of the refrigeration companies having a good PSM program if they need it, but at least having a protection program 
But this one here led to um, a conveyor line. Someone was hung up in it. OSHA investigated. Very unfortunate and should not happen. And again, it goes back to that prevention. We should be looking to prevent, not just try to avoid an OSHA fine. It should be about what are we doing to protect our team and how do we do it in a way that allows us to keep things moving, but also we have that protection because that's what we're here for. As, as safety professionals is to look and see how we can do that. Well, I appreciate you joining me for this episode. I want to close with one thing. Saw another quick news article in the week about uh, someone, a road worker that had been out doing construction was struck by a vehicle and fatally injured. Very unfortunate. And this happens way too much. So I want to ask a favor of you as you're out driving or commuting anywhere, look out for all those workers that are out there. And that could include anything from your construction workers to your, your trash pickup people to delivery drivers that have to park on the side of the road. Keep an eye open. Uh, this time of year in the afternoon and mornings, the sun can be hitting you right in the eye. It's tough to see them. Keep an open eye for them. And uh, until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast. <music>